Chapter Fourteen of the Queen of Appalachia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by R. W. Raptor. The Queen of Appalachia by Joe H. Borders. Chapter Fourteen. Chapter Fourteen. Paul and His Mountain Mystery. When Paul reached his destination late in the afternoon of the day following his embarkation on the old stagecoach, he set out on foot for the well-known boarding-house. His object in bringing the mysterious young woman here was twofold, to escape the gossip of home people, and to give her the benefit of the healing influence of his friend Brownlee. He was thinking about her as he wended his way uptown when he came to a sudden standstill. Why do I neglect my business, which is a constant source of worry to father, and come here? He asked himself. Why was I sent to that lonesome, out-of-the-way spot to rescue a drowning woman? Why do I leave Miss Arnold, who loves me to distraction, and who with tear-stained eyes begged and entreated me to stay? Arriving at the house, he went direct to her room, and softly pushing the door ajar, discovered the object of his search lying on the bed, reading— "'May I come in?' She recognised the voice instantly, and before he had advanced three steps, she threw herself into his arms and cried for joy. "'I'm so glad you came. What a splendid surprise! Oh, Mr. Thornton, I am so happy to see you again!' "'Why, sweetheart, you overwhelm me with pleasure to welcome me in this happy manner. I feel like stealing a kiss.' "'A dozen if you want them.' This is splendid, sweetheart, accepting the gifts so freely given. I am going away often in order to be the recipient of the happy greeting you bestow so sweetly. Do not say that, Mr. Thornton. You are not going to leave me again. Tell me what you have been doing during my absence, leading her to a sofa. Reading and studying. Your friend Mr. Brownlee has been very good to me, and I am one of his converts. His explanation of the Bible is beautiful. I used to look upon that book, reverenced by all good people, as one of the dullest ever printed. But reading it now with his help, it is simply grand. He has a magnificent plan of bringing one into the vibrations of the spirit, as he puts it. I see you have succumbed to his advanced thoughts, sweetheart, which gives me great pleasure. It was for this purpose I brought you here. Then I fell into the trap very nicely, didn't I? The bait was alluring. No one who anxiously seeks knowledge of the great I am will reject the truth and wisdom as taught by Mr. Brownlee. When you come into the word, as you will, you will see things with different eyes, and your understanding will enable you to not only look into the future, but the past. Oh, Mr. Thornton, that point was so beautifully explained by Mr. Brownlee. And that is the demonstration that I am constantly demanding. Ask, and you shall receive. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you, repeated Paul. The gong sounded, announcing the dinner hour. The appearance of this couple in the dining hall was hailed with delight by all their friends, and Brownlee in particular, who expressed his surprise and pleasure. We were just discussing you when that awful gong went off, she said, taking her accustomed place by the side of Brownlee. I thought so, he replied. My ears are still burning. Which one, the right? 
then I need not say that you suffered nothing from the discussion. By the way, I did not tell you of my dream, did I? A dream? No, tell us. I'm a great believer in dreams. Are you truly? Then I'll speak to you about it later and have you make an interpretation. Very well, if that is your desire. And Paul nodded approvingly to Brownlee. Pardon me for changing the subject, spoke up Paul. But I came out with Louis Reinhardt, the great actor, and his sixty people. He is here for three nights only, and we must see him. Has that any reference to your dream? asked Mr. Brownlee. It has, she replied in astonishment. I thought so. The demonstration will be complete tomorrow evening, he said half aloud. I will secure a box at once said Paul, feeling that all things worked together for good, and longing to get away to secure the tickets. Yes, go down at once, Thornton. Tickets were on sale a week ago, and good seats are not secured at the last moment, said Brownlee. Paul left the young lady in a brisk engagement with his old chum on a question of minor importance, and started for the opera house. It was nearly dusk, and he did not notice the phantom-like form that glided out from the doorway on the opposite side of the street and followed stealthily in his wake, keeping at a safe distance, so as to escape detection. He reached the box office of the Grand Opera House at last, having to stand in line and take his turn with the hundreds of others on the same errand, while the ghostly figure that was shadowing him mingled in the crowd, taking care to watch his every movement. "'A box for Thursday evening,' breathed she, and she made her way out of the mob to the sidewalk, pausing long enough to re-enter the trail." Paul had a mission to perform over on the south side, and as he wanted to get it off his mind, he decided to go there at once. It will take but an hour, and I will have all day tomorrow for her, he thought. It was a merry chase he gave his shadow. The vicinity he visited was but sparsely populated, and no streetcar line had invaded it. The way was circuitous, and it was with difficulty he made his way in the darkness. This is more than I bargained for said the feminine shadow, as she paused to take breath. My ankle is sprained already, and my head is bursting with pain. I will have to give it up for tonight. I wonder if I will ever be able to find my way home, she said, peering out into the darkness, and feeling most uncomfortable. The fear that pervaded her as she realised her lonely position gave her renewed activity, and she plunged into the darkness with surprising energy. Presently she came to a bridge, and as she was positive that she had crossed no stream on her wild goose chase, she was undecided what to do, when she detected the form of someone advancing towards her from the darkness. "'I beg pardon, sir, but will you kindly direct me towards the north side? I want to reach College Street.' The gentleman, for it proved to be such, gave her the desired information, but advised her to allow him to accompany her, as she could never make her way alone." No, thank you, sir. I'm confident I will be able to follow the direction given. You are very kind. And she pushed on. Reaching the north end of the long and lonesome bridge, she turned towards the west and cautiously glided along the road, stumbling over rocks and invading numerous swamps and marshy places, until she was worn out as well as disgusted. A reaction occurred a moment later, however, when she came in sight of an electric light and she forgot her eels. Restored in mind and reinforced in action, 
She was tripping along at a rapid gait when she ran right into the arms of a big policeman. Ah, oh, oh, my fine lady, what brings you here at this time of night? fell upon her ears. I was over on the south side to see a friend, she began, but was interrupted. That's what they all say. I guess you had better go along with me. Oh, good sir, she pleaded. I beg you to release me. I am not what you think. Where were you going? he asked briskly. To my boarding house on College Street. Do you attend the seminary? No, that is, not now, she replied, trying to keep back the tears. I had forgotten that it is vacation. Well, I will let you go this time, but I would advise that you make no more such trips all alone. Now, go long, at last speaking in a kindly tone, and she did go, as fast as her feet could carry her, avoiding the copse thereafter. End of chapter 14 Recording by R. W. Raptor